0: Shot that we got, All right. We're going to run the picket fence out. Now boys, don't get caught watching a
1: paint drive. Right. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Picket Fence Podcast. Today we have a special guest with an inside the huddle edition of the Picket Fence Podcast with Coach Josh Thompson from Bar Reeve. My name is Derek Early.
2: Uh, I'm Cam Smith. Uh,
0: We're really excited to have you on today, Coach. Thanks for taking the time with us. I'm excited to be on with you guys. and I know we've been trying to work this out for a while, so I'm glad that you guys uh, uh, were persistent because I'm excited to be on here with you guys today.
2: Yeah, we're glad to have you and uh, really excited. You are our second guest. We had Coach Shannon on a couple weeks ago, uh, which was just a fantastic episode. Great to have him. We're
0: really excited about what we're going to get to learn from you today. Yeah, you guys – talked about before we went on the air, that uh, that was a great podcast, and uh, Coach Shannon talked about his affinity for Italian opera music, and I'm sure that was well-received by the masses. Uh, yeah, for sure. I've actually listened uh, a little bit to it
2: uh, since we've talked to him, and I, I, it's growing on me, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If it can
0: me get 600 wins at some point in my career, I'll, I'll, I'll cue it up. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I may listen to a little bit of it on my four-hour bus ride to Fort Wayne next week when we go up to D1 camp. I always always need something to get me get me up there and get me back, so I may may listen to some of that stuff. You may turn it on the, the bus and see if uh, the rest of the team
2: enjoys it. I bet they'll get a kick out of it, Coach.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, they'll be sleeping on the way back, so I may play it on the way back. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh,
2: so, before we get started, Coach, Derek, you had some stuff you wanted to, to read on Coach Thompson, just uh, the background and, and sort of the accolades that you've accumulated in your career uh, before we kind of get into some of our questions.
1: Well, and we – again, you know, we can't appreciate the, the time more and, and having some of you guys come on, but especially having somebody who's incredibly successful in their field and is, is well-respected around the state. Coming in with a 109-26 and 26 record in six years at Bar Reeve, 219-182 in 17 years overall. Coach Thompson, you have five sectional championships, two regional championships, two semi-state championships, and then a state title back in 2021 with an overall record of 29 and two that year. Uh, so again, just highly, highly regarded. Lot of lot of success with your programs, and again, can't thank you enough for for taking the time to join us here.
0: I appreciate that very much. I, I've really been fortunate. I think I've been doing this for 16 or 17 years, and I've been really fortunate over the years, especially the years we were successful and you know one sectionals and advanced in the tournament, to have some really really good players. And uh, you know that that's my secret to success.
1: You know,
0: if you get <laughs> yeah. you get really good players, they make you look pretty good as a coach. Yeah, for
2: for sure. Uh, we'll uh, we'll take that into account, Derek. Okay. Whenever we're. Yeah, well, we're we're getting stuff on paper there for sure. So, coach, yeah. to get us started here, what what's your you know your coaching background? What got you started coaching? What what really sparked your love of basketball in general? Oh man,
0: uh, I grew up in Bloomfield, and um, you know I, I you know growing up as a kid, um, we only had two gyms there in Bloomfield. The the entire building was connected, kindergarten through high school, and so when you had PE class, you went to the old gym. And when you went to the old gym, uh, the pictures of the sixty one and sixty five regional championship teams were up in the old gym. And of course, they had built the new gym by that time, and there had been a couple more teams that had won regional championships, but that was the that was the gold standard uh, back in the single class system. If you could win the Terre Haute Regional, you got your picture on the wall. and so, That was something that even in P.E. class, you know, we had P.E. teachers that would talk about that. Our elementary basketball coaches would talk about that. Steve Brett, who's in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, was our head coach when I was a little guy. And, um, you know, in his summer basketball camps, the last day, he would give us a basketball, a red and white basketball. And he would tell us that we needed to wear that out so that we would need a new basketball when we came back the next summer. And then he would point up to the regional championship pictures and he'd say, you know, that's the goal. And, um, you know, we always, you know, would strive for that. And then uh, ultimately Steve left to go to Seymour uh, after I was in the seventh grade. Now, I ended up being able to coach with Steve when he was at Lagodi, And so uh, kind of a wild story about how that all shook out. But, you know, we would go scouting and we would go to coaches clinics and go play golf together. And, you know, I always asked him, I said, what was it that made you leave to go to Seymour? And he would say, I, I knew your class was coming. I had to get out of there. <laughs> but, no, I think the real reason that he left to go to Seymour was, you know, back then, single class, you go to an opportunity where you host a sectional and the regional every year, and everybody's got to play through you. Um, but then, ultimately, Ron McBride took over. And uh, I think one of these days, I think Ron's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, the the court there at Bloomfield is named after Ron. And so I was, I was fortunate enough to play for him. I played for a guy named Rick Hudson in the eighth grade, I played for a guy named Scott Yoho in elementary school. Another another guy that really got us going from the second grade on was Jeff Van Dievender. And so I, I credit really, really good basketball coaches. And then we had a guy that came along in elementary and junior high named Michael Hayes. And Michael got us going in the weight room and and was always giving us motivational stuff. So I, I couldn't have asked to have played for better better coaches in elementary and junior high. And then... Um, and then obviously playing for Steve and Ron. But then I also credit both of my grandfathers. You know, I'd go over to my grandpa Thompson's house, and he'd always be watching IU and talking about Bobby Knight. And my other grandpa, my grandpa Foley, would take me to high school games. I mean, I'd be a third and fourth grade kid. and It didn't matter if Bloomfield was playing or if it was somebody else in the Greene County tournament. He was taking me over to WRV, and I was looking around dreaming about playing in sectionals. And – uh, my my love for the game really got started at a young age, and I think it was just because I was so blessed by so many good people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it you know, kind of similar with Derek and I. We we've talked about that. It it just kind of is the the culture in the state, but just the people you're around just kind of grow that. You know what I mean? And and it's
0: yeah, absolutely. And then I, I also would be remiss if I didn't you know talk about my mom and dad because my dad wasn't a, a basketball player in high school. Uh, he was an excellent track athlete. He still holds some school records there at Bloomfield. Uh, but I I talk about how great of an upbringing I had uh, with them. They never put a lot of pressure on me. It, it was always very supportive of everything. Uh, they run me back and forth to the gym and the different camps that I wanted to go to. Um, you know, our vacations when I was a kid were, you know, AAU basketball, you know, if we could when I got into junior high and high school and I was playing AAU basketball in Columbus, Ohio, that was our vacation for the summer. And, um, you know, they were just always very supportive and, and, uh, you know, I didn't have one of those dads that criticized everything that I did. And I remember when we lost my last game, my senior year, that next morning I got up and, you know, it felt like I was, you know, that still been kicked in the stomach and was going to be going to a funeral that day. And I just remember my dad coming in and patting me on the back. And he said, Hey, he said, I'm, really proud to be your dad, and I'm really proud that you're my son, and winning and losing basketball games isn't going to change that, and, you know, I was just very fortunate to have that type of, that that type of, um, you know, backing from my parents.
1: Yeah, good people around you are certainly uh, something that you, you can't, uh, can't go without. Absolutely. That's for sure. Uh, Coach, getting into some of your, not only your background, but You know, you've been somebody that's been at a couple of different schools, Springs Valley, Wood Memorial, uh, Vincent's Lincoln, and now at at Bar Reeve. What are some of the foundations and principles that you've taken with you to those schools and tried to instill in those programs?
0: Well, you know, I I hate to sound cliche, and and one of my coaches, my eighth-grade coach, Mike DeCoursey, if he listens to this, he's going to make fun of me. Um, because he, he always hates, like, the three E's or the three C's or whatever. Three T's, and, and that's toughness, teamwork, and tradition. So no matter where I've been, I've really stressed those three things to our players. And obviously, at Springs Valley, you know, when you talk about toughness, those, those kids are tough. You know, those, those kids are football-minded kids. Um, you know, it, it's just a, a community where people really work hard. Um, You know, the tradition of having Larry Bird around, I thought that was always really easy. Uh, But the thing that was difficult for me going in there is because they had had five coaches in six years before me, was trying to get them to play together and and to play as a team. And, um, you know, so I've just really carried that everywhere that I've been. I I don't know that I intended on uh, when I set out that I was going to be at three or four different places, Um, but it's just kind of the way that it worked out. And I went into Springs Valley, and uh, you know, I was a young coach and thought I, I was going to set the world on fire, and I worked really hard at things. And I think after five years, I think my career record was like 30 and 80. And we had done a lot of work with the feeder program. I had some really good people help me there. Tony Whitaker, who was the elementary principal, went on to be superintendent. He had been an assistant coach for Tom Bradley at Orleans, so he understood the importance of the feeder program. And we tried to do a lot of the things that that we do now at Bar Eve. Um, We tried to do some things that I had done as an assistant at Ligoni under Steve Brett. And, you know, one of the things that I can look back on after that that five-year experience at Springs Valley is a lot of those kids that were in that feeder program that Tony and I ran, we had a lot of help from people like Frank Decker and John Neal, who were my assistant coaches. Those kids went on to have a lot of winning seasons, and they won some sectionals. Now, there were a lot of things that had to happen after we left, Um, but I I think the foundation was there and the reason that I left uh, it wasn't because I wanted to leave it was because you know there were a couple board members that felt like they needed to go in a different direction and you know I'm not so sure that I don't agree with them you know you're 50 games under 500 in five years you know maybe you do need a new voice. so um, you know they let me go and I really did a lot of soul searching and went home and talked to my wife about it and I said hey I said I'm an assistant principal here at Springs Valley I can I can, you know, stay in administration, maybe work my way up and be an assistant superintendent, superintendent one of these days. And she just kind of looked at me and she said, but that's not what you really want to do, is it? I said, no, it's not what I want to do. I want want to coach basketball. And so through a lot of prayer and a lot of soul searching and stuff, we decided that if an opportunity came our way, um, you know, that that we would take it. And I remember – still sitting in my office and I got an email from Steve Killian who was the AD at Wood Memorial at the time and he's still the AD and um, ironically he had talked to Coach Hughes who was here at Bar Eve and Brian had told him he said y- you need to talk to Josh and I still thank Coach Hughes for that because I think that had a lot to do with me getting the Wood Memorial job and uh, and went over there and, and I was blessed I think to come in there at the right time because we had a lot of great kids and Um, we, we had one special player, Connor severe, who ended up playing down in your neck of the woods at IU Southeast. Um, we had some guys when Connor was a senior, uh, that were freshmen and they had no idea what they were doing. They were just special players. And, you know, the moment was never too big for them. We won the sectional that year. Uh, Orleans was ranked number one and we upset them in the sectional. Um, and the first year that Barry won the state championship in 2015, they beat us in the regional championship, um, so we had a really good run. Then the then the next year, um, Sevier graduated. Uh, Lathan Falls, who was our top returning scorer, tears his ACL against Heritage Hills in the in the uh, scrimmage in the preseason scrimmage, and we kind of look around and and I'll never forget this: uh, Amber DeCoursey, who just retired as uh, legendary volleyball coach here at Bar Eve. Uh, her husband, Mike, as I mentioned, is my eighth grade coach. He was the best man in in our wedding. Amber called me and she said, Josh, she said, one thing I want you to think about is, is your goals and your aspirations for your team this year shouldn't change, even though you had a significant injury. And we kind of rallied around that. And I think that year we ended up still winning 20, 21 games and got to the regional final. And uh, the tough luck of that was that Falls was going to come back in the semi-state. He was cleared to play and was probably going to come back and would have been able to play in the semi-state. I think if he had been healthy that year, I think we probably would have, you know, at least won the regional and and had a shot to go to the state finals that year. But, you know, those are just the type of things that you have to deal with sometimes as a high school coach. Then after that, then I had the opportunity to go to Vincennes. I was there for two years, and I thought, really, that was – that was the first time that our family had all been together in one school corporation. When I coached at Springs Valley and when I coached at Wood Memorial, I drove back and forth from Lagodi. And so when we took the Vincennes job, all of our family got together and we thought that's where we were going to stay. And, uh, at the end of that second year, had a really good year, got a contract extension, got a three-year deal and really was set that that's where we were going to be. And then in July, things opened up here at Bar Eve and, um, Kind of an ironic situation i'll try to tell the story real quick but scott mcclellan who's at noblesville really good friend of mine he was coaching at morristown at the time and scott called me and asked if i knew anybody at bar eve and i said yeah i know some guys over there i know the ad pretty well and, and so i i called and recommended scott and i said scott's the guy you need to hire and they were going to do interviews on monday and so scott calls me on a saturday morning and he and his wife, he, Scott was supposed to interview at six o'clock on Monday night. And Scott goes, Josh, he said, I just want to thank you so much for helping me. Now Scott would have got an interview, whether I made the call for him or not, but I was just trying to help push him over the top. And he goes, man, he goes, we just built a new house up here at Geist. And my wife took this new job. And yeah, you know, I think I'm going to stay at Morristown and at least another couple of years. And, um, so then, you know, things worked out and, um, you know, he, he told me, he said, I'm not going to interview. And so we ultimately decided that we'd like to pursue it then. And uh, I called Aaron, the AD, and said, hey, I'd like to put my name in. He called me back five minutes later and said, you interview at 6 o'clock. And so <laughs> Scott backed out. I walked into the 6 o'clock interview. And I, I guess maybe that was God's plan, that whoever interviewed at 6 o'clock was going to get the job. And so we came here it really worked out well because – it's worked out well for me as a basketball coach, but more importantly, I think it's worked out well for my family. My daughter won two state championships playing with Amber, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been really good for us. Bar Eve and Montgomery have been really good to our family. Yeah, for sure. That's, first of all, it's a great story. It's incredible kind of how the timing of
2: things works out. I think a lot of yeah. young coaches, when I talk to them, that's the thing they really bring out the most is, is the timing and the situation more than anything.
0: Well, and, and that would be some advice that I would give young coaches is, like, be patient. You know, I took the Springs Valley job, and, and I would never reg- never go back on that. But I think maybe I might have been in a little bit too big of a hurry. Now, it was a great opportunity because I became assistant principal and got that opportunity for five years and, and uh, coached a lot of great kids and met a lot of great people. I would never change things. But just sometimes, you know, I was very fortunate because – I got a bounce back job there at Wood Memorial and that was a great bounce back job. And sometimes you don't get the bounce back job.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's kind of a good segue into our uh, our next question here is, you know, you talk about being at at Springs Valley and maybe being too soon or, or things maybe you could have done differently. So how have you changed as a coach since you've started? Uh, What kind of, you know, what has your approach to things changed? I mean, you're kind of laughing as I'm saying, I'm sure
0: it's been a lot, but, (laughs) What kind of things have changed about you or, or your approach to the program as a whole? Well, I'm still pretty intense, but I think I'd go back and tell the 26-year-old Josh Thompson, "You need to chill the buzz a little bit, man." <laughs> uh, I, was, I was I was pretty pretty fiery. When I was 26, and you know, but but that's always been kind of the way that I've coached. Is I, I just feel like kids respond to that pretty well, you know. And I'm again, like I said, I'm a lot more laid back now than than when I was at 26, but they're there are still times where that, that comes out, and even in the summertime, where I'm, I feel like I'm way more laid back during the season. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate along the way to coach a lot of great kids and a lot of great parents supporting those kids that have let me coach them pretty hard. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably my biggest change. For sure, has have you seen the
2: game? change around you like have you seen the high school game in Indiana adapt or change in ways that maybe you didn't expect or that you've had to adapt to
0: yeah I think the game is way more physical now than than what it was when I was in high school and college and you know and and then first got into into coaching I think the game has gotten very very physical um and again I think we've got the greatest officials in in the world RIHSA officials do a tremendous job but it's just the, the way the game has evolved. You know, used to, you not, you wouldn't be able to put your hands on anybody. And now they talk about that's a point of emphasis at the beginning of every year. And then by Christmas time, <laughs> you got guys grabbing, grabbing two hands full of Jersey, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Brent Chitty that just retired at, at Columbus East, you know, when coach Chitty and I would talk, or I'd see him at clinics. He'd show all these finish drills where they just beat the tar out of each other with pads and noodles and stuff. And I've, taking some of those drills from Coach Chetty because you do have to be able to play through that and play through some contact. Used to, you know, you got touched on the way up. You'd be going to shoot two foul shots. So I think the game has changed in in that respect. I think the new changes that we're going to see this year with taking the ball out only on the side and and underneath and and the the double bonus, I think that's going to change the strategy a little bit. You know, I've got an out-of-bounds play that we run from the deep corner, that when we take the ball out in the deep corner – which that's not going to happen anymore. Right. But we take it out down there. We, re- we call it Purdue, and it's it's a play that I stole from Coach Painter. And it, over the years, you'd be amazed at how many times we scored easy buckets out of it. But the reason why I got that and the reason I put that in is you go back to the second sectional that we played in, the championship game, we lost in double overtime. And one of the key plays in that game was we took it out deep on the sideline, down close to the baseline, and we couldn't get the ball in, and we had a five-second count. And that, that hurt us, you know, we get the ball inbounds, there we probably win the game. And I just told myself, I'm, I'm never going to let that happen to myself, whether it's a tournament game or a regular season game ever again. And so we put that in, but yeah, I think the game has changed. I, I don't think it's changed negatively. Uh, I think it's still a great game, but it's a lot more physical.
1: Coach, how do you feel about the the changes with the regional and semi state setup? Because that definitely kind of impacts you guys with your success at Bar Reeve. Is that a, a good thing, or are you viewing that as maybe a negative?
0: Well, first first of all, I love Brian Lewis and I love Commissioner Knighty, Paul Knighty. I just saw him on Saturday up there at the baseball state finals. But I don't think they like my opinion, and I was I was pretty outspoken with my opinion uh, when they changed it. Uh, so. You know, I, first of all, I, I, I'm a proponent of single-class basketball, and I know people would say, well, dude, you benefited more than maybe anybody because you are in single class and had a great team and been to the state finals a couple times, so how can you say that, you know, you, you would like to go back to the single-class tournament? And I know that's a discussion for another time, uh, but when my freshman and sophomore year, we played in the single-class tournament, and then we went to the four classes. And the first two years of the four classes, we had a single-game region. Well, then they changed that, and they, they, you know, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but they changed it, and the, the regional became a fourteen team regional. And I thought that was a great format. You know, the, the times that we were involved in it at Wood Memorial, the times that we've been involved in it here at Bar Eve, it's a tough day. It's a really tough day, and you got to win two games, and you don't have to do that. And I think that's why a lot of teams play these holiday tournaments, you know, to get their kids in the mindset of you got to – win a couple games in a day, and I don't, I don't think that's a bad strategy to play uh, a tournament format like that sometime in the season. But going back to that, um, then, you know, you, you had the North Semi-State and South Semi-State, and I'll tell you what, those Semi-State days were tremendous. You know, in 2015 when Scott's team at Morristown – I'm sorry, in 2018 when Scott's team at Morristown beat Bar-Eve and then the next weekend won the state championship – you had Bar Even, Morristown, and then you had Warren Central and New Albany at at Seymour. And that place was sold out for both games. Right. This last year, in the single-class tournament over here at the, the Hatchet House, I'm telling you, that, that place seats, you know, 8,000 people. And that championship game over there, there might have been 1,500 people there. And to me, that's, that's not a semi-state championship. And I just don't like it, and uh, you know, again, we, we mess with tradition. My comment on the whole thing was I had two teams at Wood Memorial, um, that we won the first game of the regional and lost the championship game in the regional, And so the justification that I've been given for it is it allows teams and communities to advance along farther in the tournament. Well, that's great. But then why, why did we change that? You know, back in the early two thousands, if that was the reason we're trying to get more kids and more communities an opportunity to advance, Why would we ever change it to begin with? And I think a lot of it, and we all know this, it all goes back to what can generate more revenue. If you have more teams, deeper into tournament, the thought is you generate more revenue. I'm going to be really interested when we look at this over the next three or four years, because I think the revenue from single class, semi-states is really going to suffer.
1: Yeah, I'm curious if that doesn't phase out a little bit, because I'm kind of with you on the whole idea of generating excitement and to me the, the setup kind of takes away some of that community enthusiasm for your team with the the current two weekend setup the way they've got it going now.
0: Yeah I'm Gene Miller, you know, anytime Gene Miller talks, I listen. You know, some of my favorite times are traveling for IBCA stuff up north and, and sharing a ride with Gene Miller. And whether it's, you know, for the top 100 or for the all-state voting. And, um, you know, Coach Miller talks about how regional weekend, regional Saturday in the state of Indiana was about the best weekend of basketball that you could ask for. Well, and, and that was regardless of whether you were the 1A or the 4A level. And then what you had with those semi-states is, you know, you might have a 2 and a 3A or a 1A and a 4A. And, and people would watch both games. I remember in 21, our game against Timley, you know, obviously there was a, a team involved in at Southridge that was coached by Mark Rohr. So a lot of people from Bar were very interested in that game. And, you know, Mark was coaching Colson Montgomery now, playing in a White Sox organization. And so you had a special play there. Um, in 2019, when we played there, we played Bloomfield in the first game. Second game was Ben Davis. Uh, against Trace Jackson Davis in center group. And so you, you had people that wanted to stay to those games. I just don't think you're going to have situations where people are going to bounce from one game to another to, to see featured players.
1: Yeah, the, the, the draw to some of those semi-state afternoons were certainly something special. Because like you said, you could have communities not only going to watch their team play, but you had the 3A or the 4A game following up and there was vested interest there too.
0: Yeah. Again, I'm not taking anything away from 1A basketball because we're a 1A school, and we've obviously been tremendously successful. But, you know, some of the matchups that you saw in the semi-state last year, they're not just, they're just not matchups that are going to lure the common fan. You know, but the common fan will come watch Bar play Timley or Bar Eve play, um, you know, Bloomfield, Especially if they can watch Trace Jackson Davis in the second game, right? Absolutely, uh, coach. To
2: to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier with your with your uh, your program foundations. Right now we're in the summer, and I know uh, we're all jumping around to different you know games and shootouts and having workouts and things like that. What what is your summer uh, basketball approach? What are you looking to get out of it? Do you have goals that you set with your guys, or is it is it different year to year? I think it's a lot
0: different year to year. And I think some years the summer is way more important um, than it is the next or or maybe the previous year. Um, The one thing that, again, you you talk about my approach to coaching, 16 years ago, man, I was cutthroat in the summer. Um, I was worried about wins and losses, and I was worried about, you know, who was playing well, and I'm still worried about that. And I like to see my guys, what they can do, especially, you know, last summer where we – had lost so much from the previous two seasons, and we had to plug guys into new roles, and that was extremely important for us last summer. But I think you have to be very, very cautious as a head coach or an assistant coach in putting too much emphasis on winning and losing, especially in the summertime. Um, You know, I want to win every game. You know, we lost a game here in our shootout the the other day in sudden death overtime. And I had some guys that were really tore up after that game, and that's good to see that that you know the game means something to guys. But I had to remind them, guys, this is the summer. You know, we didn't just lose a sectional championship game. You know, and our, and it's a good good problem to have because our kids are of the mindset that you know, hey, you know, we're bar even, we should win every time we step on the floor. That that's a that's a good problem to deal with. But sometimes you have to scale that back, and you have to make sure that you don't put too much emphasis on the summer. My emphasis is on what we're going to do here in a little bit. We're going to get in the weight room. And so I think that's tremendously important. You know, we've got our junior high kids in the weight room a couple days a week now and get our high school guys in here three days a week. I think that's tremendously important. And I think your skill development stuff is incredibly important. I think what's way less important is wins and losses. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a running joke that I've always used with all my assistants whether they're junior high coaches coaching in the summer or high school, is that they don't hang banners for what you do in the summer. Now, Barry Stone, who's now assistant superintendent up at North Davies, he was one of my feeder coaches at at Vincennes. And Barry, you know, he ran the printing press and and the STEM program. So there was one day I walked into my office, and and Barry, he had been assistant superintendent, so he had keys to everybody's office. And And our junior high kids had won a team camp, Dan Sparks' team camp. And I walked into my office one day and there was a banner hanging on the wall. Dan sparked the team camp. So, <laughs> you know, but I, I just think you have to be real careful about uh, putting a lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of emphasis on winning and losing in the summer.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree. I,
0: and and I, I want to follow that up too. I don't think social media helps with that. You know, <laughs> you know social media is good and it's bad um, for everything, but You know, especially for young coaches that are, like, taking a new job and you're getting to know players and you want to see what you got and you want to give guys opportunities. And then you got some guy that, you know, that that runs a, a Twitter website and he's breaking down every high school game. And, you know, that guy feels pressure and under the gun right off the bat because everybody that follows high school basketball is going to be on the John Harrell website, you know, seeing the breakdown. And, and I think that's kind of unfortunate. You know, maybe we should ban all social media and all fans from everything in the
1: summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, to follow that up, Coach, what what is your social media policy? How do you go about handling that type of stuff? In, in today's society, today's a world where everybody lives on the cell phone and uh-huh. you're a tweet away from having, you know, oh, either positivity or negativity come and fly in your way and information – you know, we know travels very, very quickly. How do you go about handling that particular hurdle there?
0: Well, first of all, i got to guard myself on that because <laughs> there's a lot of times I want to respond to things on social media, not necessarily with our, with our players and our program. I don't necessarily go looking for that stuff. Um, you know, I, every once in a while something gets brought to my attention and I want to respond um, I typically don't respond to anything that has anything to do with our team unless it's tremendously positive. Um, you know, so that's kind of my policy with, with our program stuff. Um, myself and my assistants, we kind of share that role of monitoring our our program social media presence. Uh, but when it comes to the players, you know, that's one of the things that that I talk to our players a lot about. Uh, one of my former assistants, Tim Elfen. He had a buddy that, that actually um, worked in the CIA. And Elfin always talked about his buddy's policy on, uh, on doubt of whether or not you should or shouldn't do something. He said, when there's doubt, there is no doubt. And so I tell my guys that all the time. I'm like, listen, if you have any thought in your, your mind that maybe Coach Thompson wouldn't appreciate this, maybe my teammates wouldn't appreciate this, Then all doubt has been removed and you don't put it out there, (laughs) whether it's a picture or, or, you know, a a comment about somebody. I remember one year when I was at Wood Memorial, I had an assistant coach that came up to him and he said, hey, we got this guy and he's been talking all kinds of smack. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or, or, you know, one of the platforms to Pike Central. And I'm I said, why in the world would he be talking smack to Pike Central? We haven't beat those guys in 18 years, or however long it had been. So, you know, don't you think we ought to beat them before we talk smack? And you know, we had to have a team meeting and talk about that. About hey, listen, let's do our talking on the floor. And so that that's kind of the message that I, I send to our guys. And we don't tend to have a lot of problems with that. I know that's a, that's a big issue for a lot of coaches, but we're we're pretty blessed that we don't have a lot of a lot of concerns there in that
1: area. Well, and you're a pretty good follow on Twitter yourself. So in listening to, to you talk and seeing some of the stuff that you post on Twitter, it's definitely obvious that um, I'm going to kind of go sideways on this one and go off the script of our normal questions, but uh, pretty, pretty obvious that Christianity and your faith is something that's very, very important. And yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask was how does that, how does your faith, how does that help you when you coach? Well, Talking about the, the
0: calming, I mean, that's something that, that I've got to pray for before every game, before I go out. You know, I, I do. I pray on my own. Uh, we pray as a team. You know, I feel very blessed that I'm in a community um, that, that really supports that. And, you know, it's not that way everywhere. Right. And, you know, Greg Tonigle is a good friend of mine. And Greg does a lot of I Am Third stuff, and he does a lot of stuff with coaching coaches through their faith. Um, and, you know, Greg, he could have moved on to a lot of jobs over the years. And um, one of the things he's told me is he goes, I couldn't do the things that I'm that I'm doing here at Indiana Wesleyan at, you know, a Mac school, let's say. And so, you know, you got to you got to understand that there's certain things that I guess I'm very fortunate enough that I'm able to do here that I might not be able to do at other schools. Um, we have a Wednesday night Bible study. And um, we do that after every Wednesday night practice, one of our players leads that. Um, I've done that everywhere that I've been. Um, after Springs Valley, I started that at Wood Memorial. And uh, we, don't, we don't force any of our players to, to go to it. Um, it's, it's voluntary. And, uh, but it's become a big part of what we do as a program. I will say this. Um, when I was at Springs Valley, I attended FCA you know meetings and stuff like that but I wasn't wasn't really involved in it other than just att- attending the meetings and I know when I got let go there and my wife and I we spent a lot of time in prayer about where where God wanted us to be next one of the things I remember uh, talking to him about in prayer was hey when if and when we get another opportunity and you open a door I'm not doing this my way anymore I'm going to do this your way and uh, just tell a real quick story about that. When I got to Wood Memorial, I coached this kid named Connor Maurer. And Connor was tremendously strong in his faith. And Steve Killian told me about how great of a kid he was. And, and uh, anyway, I went to Connor and I, I texted him and I said, Hey, would you be involved in helping me get FCA started here at Wood Memorial? Because we don't have it. What I later found out when he responded to me, Yes, I'd love to, to do that. And Connor went on to be a great leader for our FCA is he was actually um, in the chapel at church camp there in July, because it was during our dead period. He was at church camp and he was in the chapel and he was actually praying that God would give him a a ministry leadership opportunity. And he had no idea what that would be. And so later on when we connected, he told me that story and kind of looked at me and said, coach, he said, that's not a coach Thompson thing. That's not a Connor Maury thing. He said, that's a God thing. And we kind of ran with that, and FCA has become very, very strong at that school. Um, but like I said, it, I, I just made that promise to him that, you know, one, if and when we got that next opportunity that we'd do it his way. And I'll tell you what, his way's worked out a lot better than my way because I was 30 and 80. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, kind of like you were saying, you know, the, your players and us as individuals, we, be, we become like the people we surround ourselves with. And, and who we get around and i think that's an awesome example that you've got going on there at bar reeve and the programs you've led prior um, to set for your kids and give them that that type of example and that foundation i think that's awesome
0: yeah you know and, and I, I talk to my kids about that about the opportunities that they have you know my daughter won two state championships you know my son's a fourth grader he's a pretty good player and um uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting the Mr. Basketball ad together for him or anything yet, but he's a good player. And, you know, but he's surrounded by really good players. And, you know, he, he's successful in baseball, but he's surrounded by really good players. My son that's a sophomore that will be on our JV team this year, his best sports are track and cross country, but he loves, you know, to be with his teammates and play basketball. But I always talk to them about, a hey, whatever you achieve athletically, like you didn't do that. Like, you, you got put in an opportunity to be blessed by great teammates and to have some athletic ability. There are countless people out there that would love to have the abilities that you have and the opportunities that you have. And so you've got to be appreciative, I think, to him for placing you where you're at when you're there.
2: No doubt. Coach, that's great to hear. And I think as, you know, young coaches and assistants like myself and Coach Early – um, that's one of the things we always talk about, you know, looking for the opportunities to surround ourselves with either you know, that, that kind of leadership or where that kind of thing is going to be fueled. So we just love hearing, hearing that. Yeah. From you.
0: And if anybody, and I've, I've shared some stuff that we use in our Bible study, um, they're on Google docs. So if any coach out there, whether you've got a fifth grade girls team or a, you're an assistant coach at a college, and you're looking to do something like that. Um, I've got everything that we use throughout the year. And um, I'll, I'll share that with anybody. Sure. So I'll I'll definitely, be, shoot me an email. Yeah, I'll definitely be taking you
2: up on that for sure. Yeah. Uh, coach, to to turn the conversation a little bit towards the, the X's and O's, I, we got a couple of interesting questions here for you. So, um, first and foremost, do you have a favorite quick hitter that you like to go to or a tight game, a favorite set that you or your staff really like to
0: look for? Yeah, we've got a couple. Um that, that we really like to go to. Um, and I think it's important to have some sets like that, that are your go-to sets. And even if your competition knows that you're going to utilize those sets, um, every set that we run, we have at least one or two counters to that. And so, you know, our two or three go-to sets, we've got two that we really go to against man. And we've got one that we can go to against zone. And no matter what type of zone that you're in, that quick hitter will, will, you know, give us a couple different options. Um, but, again, and I know this sounds silly, um, there's no magic potion, though, when you get down to those moments where you need to have a playmate, And, really, it, it is about the players. It is about the players. Because, and I, I go back to the 2021 team, and I'm a big motion guy. I love four out, one in motion. Like, that's my bread and butter. Um, Rick Majera's stuff, um, you know, all the guys that are really successful – Um, with the four-out-one-in, I've looked at all that stuff. But when I had that team, I had Bryson Graber, who ended up being the state's all-time assist leader, and we ran this modified dribble-drive stuff, and I called it the Bryson Graber offense because Bryson was going to get us shots. And, uh, yeah, so we to answer your question, we've got a couple quick hitters that we go to. Um, One of them involves uh, ball screen action because I think – The utilization of ball screen in in your offense, I think, in today's game is really important. Um, And that's probably an evolution of the game. Um, And it's got a couple reads for us, depending on how teams are going to play at ball screen. But really, I think in that last 30 seconds of the game, you shouldn't be surprised by their ball screen coverage. It's probably not going to change from the way it's been throughout the game. And so it starts. one of our sets starts off with a ball screen. And then we have the option to run that into a pick and pop, uh, or we can run screen to screener action off of that, or we can run it into a flare screen. So we have three different options out of that one set. Uh, I'm sorry, into a stagger screen. And the other set that we run is a dribble handoff, where we clear the point guard out, we come off of a ball screen, and we hit, and we make that pass. And then that guy that came off of a ball screen immediately comes off of a flare screen. And he's got that side cleared out. Um, that was actually the set that we were going to run against Blackhawk when they beat us in double overtime up here in the Graber Post Tournament a couple years ago. Uh, they were on the free throw line. We were down. Um, we were down one. And I called Bryson and Gabe over and I said, "Hey, we're going to run uh, run our set. We call it Daryl Bob." And um, and it, after one of these fictitious going back to social media, we call it Daryl Bob because. Uh, Daryl Bob Swartz and Troopers, a, a fake Twitter account that supports Barry basketball. So that was that after. But anyway, I told those guys to say, Hey, we're running that. And Gabe goes, so you want me to shoot the three off the flare screen? I said, absolutely. I said, you've got 34 points right now. I said, we're either going to win or lose here. He said, what if we're only down two? And I said, no, I said, I don't want you to sweep and drive. I want you to shoot it off the flare screen. And they ended up fouling and coming off the ball screen. And then our zone set. It actually involves a ball screen on the chaser out top, no matter what zone you're in. So, um, yeah, we've got a couple key sets that we go to. Uh, so, to continue on that, and that's and that's great.
2: And I, I mean, Coach Early and I aren't shy about saying we we're looking to steal some stuff. We we had some great tips from Coach Han as well last time. So, yeah, uh, I think
0: um, I think the key with any of those sets. Is goes back to that short baseline out-of-bounds play that we run. Like, we practice that a couple times a week. And so the more you practice that and, and kids understand, like, hey, this is exactly what we're running in this situation, then you're going to have much a much better chance to be successful in that situation. Like I said, in that out-of-bounds play, that Purdue out-of-bounds play, I can't even imagine how many times we've scored out of that And it's the simplest play in the world. All it does is you clear out the backside and you set a back screen and there's nobody on the opposite side. And even if there's two seconds on the clock, you can get a shot out of it. And so, you know, our kids have really executed that stuff, but it goes back to you practice that stuff at least two or three times a week. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Getting into the, the practice and, and executing things like that, it was one I was going to say for a little bit later, but I, I'm a little bit too antsy about it. I want to ask it now. So you brought up some of your past teams. Uh, so I was at the semi-state game when you played Indianapolis-Tenley uh, in Washington. Yeah. Um, that is probably the best team defense that I've seen executed in a game, especially one of, of that scale.
0: Guys were unbelievably high Q basketball players. And then as that game wore on and we started to stretch the lead, then we were forcing them to become a jump-shooting team. And then they they played right into our hands with that because their strength was in transition and getting to the rim, not shooting the ball from 20 feet. Go for it, Cam. Uh, sure. So uh, to continue on that,
2: uh, to kind of go to the flip side, ha- has there been any coaching style or – maybe a team that plays a certain way that has given you trouble in your career? Maybe it's a bar or anywhere. Has there been a particular style that's really given you trouble in, in a similar way like you did to, to Timlin?
0: Yeah, um, I'll tell you, i got to give a lot of credit to Brent Downrumpel at North Davies because I think Brent is one of the best coaches at slowing the game down. Even when they were really, really good this past year and the year before, they had the ability to really shorten the game. And, you know, to be competitive in the 3A tournament this year, even with a loaded roster, they they had to do that. And uh, I think that's one of the most difficult things to do. I know Coach Matt Moore and I have talked a lot about that, Matt's up at Warsaw, about how to speed people up. But that even happens at the 4A level. Um, you know, he was telling me his last year at, um, at Fishers, they lost in the sectional like 32 to 25. And I think when you have really good teams that handle it well and pass it well, that are extremely patient, I think that's difficult to play against. I think that's one of the reasons why Kerry Brown's had so much success. His teams have been tremendously good defensively, but they help themselves out on the defensive side of the ball because they pass it so well and, and they're so difficult to turn over.
1: Well, and, and coach, to go off of that question from Cam, uh you guys don't just play a tough 1A schedule. You guys play a tough schedule for the state. Um, and then looking to, at the, to tur- the tournament success that you guys have, are there is there a player or players that kind of stick out in your mind that you've had to prep for that have maybe given you a, a little bit more problems than other players that you faced?
0: Well, I, I think back to when I was at Wood Memorial and we played against Drew Smith, you know, at Evansville Wrights uh drew i think was probably one of the most outstanding players that i've ever coached against um yeah i've got some of those guys on those wood teams that'll talk to you about uh, Lathan falls for example who was a college basketball player in nai and you know and i've got some guys playing at grace and uh go down and watch oakland city ken french's teams play and nai basketball is really good you know greg tonigle's team's there at indiana wesleyan um And so Latham played NAI basketball, so he wasn't a slouch. But against Drew Smith, he had eight turnovers because Drew was so long and so quick. Um, And his ability to get to the rim uh, was first rate. Uh, Caleb first at Purdue really sticks out. You know, it seems like we had to play them 50 times. (laughs) Um, You know, whether it was in the Graber Post thing or, or in the state finals. So really glad that all don't have the game plan on how to figure out how to, how to stop him. We never really did a tremendous job of it. Uh, his teammate, Frankie Davidson was really good. You know, Frankie was a player of the year in that crossroads conference this year. And then counter a at central noble who's playing at Wisconsin now.
1: Yeah.
0: Counter a I think was tremendously underrated coming out of high school. You know, counter a didn't even make the junior all-star team. Now that year, uh, that Connor was a junior all-star or could have been was a weird year because it was COVID. So there was only one team put together. Like there wasn't a core team and a north and south. Okay. But Connor didn't make the junior all-star team that year and then came back and made the seniors. And you look at what he's done at Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Connor was
1: definitely one of the toughest guards that we ever had to game plan for. Yeah, as an Indiana fan, I hated to see him leave the state.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people were kind of hoping he might come back at
1: the end of the year. but Yeah, there was a little bit of rumbling there, but it seems I think he's staying at Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, I believe so. And I think he's a great fit for that system.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Coach, one of the things that, that Cam and I have had discussions on, and you uh, you kind of jumped in on the talk a little bit, were our top five Indiana high school basketball players. Mm-hmm. and whether you want to do current or if you want to do all-time, who are some guys that you would put on your list? I
0: appreciated getting the questions ahead of time. I'm usually not this quick-witted on things, but if I had to put an all-time five out there, I'd start Scott Skiles at the point, Damon Bailey at the two, Glenn Robinson at the three, Oscar Robertson at the four, and Greg Oden at the five. And I would challenge anybody – excuse me, I I had – I had uh, Oscar and uh, Glenn Robinson switch there at the three and four, but I would challenge anybody to beat that five with anybody else. Um, Sean Kemp comes to mind, you know, yeah. uh, being a phenomenal high school player. Uh, he, he was a freak athlete, but I I don't know that Sean Kemp would start over any of those five guys. It'd be, it'd be hard to get rebounds against that club there, Coach. It, it would be really, really <laughs> difficult. You know um, – Coach Brett, who I mentioned earlier, he got he got to be the uh, uh, one of the assistants on the All-Star team the year that Greg Oden and Conley uh, were on that team. And I just remember him coming back from practices, and he was just raving about this guy named Luke Herringote. He said, nobody down here in southern Indiana knows about Luke Herringote. And then look at the career that kid had at, North, at Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, I was a big fan of Luke when he was there. Yeah. Sure. Great player.
2: So, to jump to one of our next ones here, kind of getting some fun questions. So, you got your top five here. Uh, we've had this discussion a few weeks ago. Uh, what's your favorite basketball
0: movie? Do you have a go to or just your all time favorite? Well, I, I think you'd be silly if you didn't say Hoosiers, you know. Um, uh, but I, I, I looked at your guys' website here yesterday and I saw some of the movies, and you've got some great ones on there. So, Hoosiers, without a doubt. But I'm a big fan of the new one, the, the movie Hustle. You know, oh, I yeah. my son and great I great movie. That at, and Adam Sandler. I mean, you just don't get any better than Adam Sandler, but like Adam Sandler playing a basketball coach, that was phenomenal. And um, you know, I'm I'm also a big, big fan. I've got a soft spot for white men can't jump. Yeah, I think we we brought both of those up. Yeah, those are some fun ones for sure. Yeah, I I queue up hustle every once in a while. That's a really that's a really fun. Uh, one. If, if people have not seen that, when they need to check it out.
1: I want to know if you asked for the new "White Men Can't Jump" movie.
0: No, no, <laughs> I, I, I did not, and I actually have not watched that. That's one that, um, that I've been planning to check out, but I've not heard it's uh, not heard great reviews about it.
1: Yeah, somebody. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said that it does not have anything to do with the original. Mm-hmm. that there's no references back or connections it just simply has the same theme with the same title that there's yeah. there's no correlation
0: well, it's it's probably like the new space jam movie they should have just left well enough alone and moved on yeah. if those guys wanted to be movie stars put them in other movies
1: i got into a long debate with my classes this year about which space jam was better
0: it's not even close it's not even close for sure
1: it took it took far more convincing on my part than what I would have imagined in I'm getting sure them to realize did. that the this LeBron new, movie big generation
0: was of kids, man. For yeah, sure, it <laughs> it. Coach. Well,
2: we really appreciate uh, ha- uh, you know you coming on with us today. Uh, really glad you took the time. Uh, good luck the rest of the summer, uh, uh, and uh, good luck this upcoming season. We're, we're really thankful that you joined. Yeah, us. Yeah, Coach. Can't
1: thank you enough, man. Really appreciate yeah. the time.
0: Yeah, I'm. I, Really appreciate you guys having me on, and and one last thing that I'll I'll say to any of the coaches that listen to this that are young coaches like you guys is um, the other thing about about being successful in coaching is not only do you need to be patient and get the right job, and and that could be a middle school job. You know, I I know a lot of great coaches. Uh, Lee Kavanaugh over at Lagodi, that the that the auxiliary gym now is named after, that were tremendous middle school coaches. So, to impact lives, you don't have to be a head coach at the varsity level. So, I think that's important to remember. But I I would say the most important thing is having a supportive spouse. Like I I could not do what I'm doing, uh, and have done it for as long as I've done it without my wife uh, Jamie, who. I met there at Lagodi, and uh, obviously having a supportive family, you know, my kids, J.C., Ty, and, and Griffin, they've grown up in the gym. They've grown up around it, so everybody's bought in. But they wouldn't have bought into the level that they bought in without my wife, and I would be really remiss if I kind of left her out of the conversation. But I tell coaches that all the time. I'm like, if you don't have somebody that's supporting what you do at home, it's going to be – you might as well find something else to do because – you're you're it's almost going to be miserable for you trying to make those two things work separately so i really appreciate her and all she does for us
1: oh absolutely
0: sure 100 percent. guys best of luck i i I love what you're doing I, i think it's awesome
1: oh thanks coach
0: yeah
2: we really appreciate it we're glad we're glad to have you and hopefully we can uh you know, have some more guys, you know, like you come on here and, and learn from them for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm going to share my email address on here real quick, if that's okay. Awesome. Sure. Absolutely. It's, it's thompson at bar, B-A-R-R dot K-1-2 dot I-N dot U-S. And if anybody wants that stuff, like I said, on our Bible study, uh, the quick hitters that you were talking about, I don't mind to share those. I've got all that stuff in fast draw, um, you know, and I, I will Tell you this, ninety nine percent of everything I have is begged, borrowed, and stolen. So it's it's nothing new. I've got it from somebody else. Yeah, there's that, no, that one quick hitter, the flare screen into a ball screen that that came from one of my assistants, John Neal. And so we use that all the time.
1: Hey, there's no yeah, sense in sure. reinventing yeah. the
0: wheel. Yeah, we you know, we talked about that with Coach Shannon for sure.
2: He was saying, you know, you don't get, um, you know, no one's no one's reinventing this game. It's Naismith's game, and now we're all just we're all just taking it from everybody else. Amen to that. Amen to that. For sure. Coach, we really appreciate you. Uh, Thanks a lot for coming on. Okay.
1: Coach, thanks, man. Absolutely.
2: Thank you. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Uh, We're so thankful Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, Coach Thompson coming on. Uh, Listen and and watch our social media this week for our uh, next episode. (laughs) For us on Instagram and Facebook at the Picket Fence Podcast. And for
0: both of us here at the Picket Fence Podcast.
2: Don't get caught caught watching watching the paint
1: dry.